Right, a really important episode on the way. Welcome to Sport in the Fields. My name's Jonathan Overend. We're in association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. And in this episode, we're going to address a whole series of interconnected issues with regard to athletes' well-being and mental health. We're going to be talking about self-doubt. We're going to be talking about the feeling of worthlessness, winning at all costs, what that does to an athlete's head. Uh, Isolation will come up, fear of failure, disdain for anything other than first. Dangerous, it's inevitable. What about the lack of support? Do athletes feel there is a lack of support, maybe a lack of connection, a lack of understanding? And crucially, what more as a sports community, and I would include us as fans in that as well, what more can be done, can we do, to help with better understanding in the future? Welcome to Sport in the Fields. Right, this is going to be a really interesting episode, I think, because it's one we thought about right at the end of an episode previously in the series. It was the Jeanette Quachi conversation with myself and John Inverdale. And if you heard that, you'll remember me saying right at the end that we should do an episode talking about athletes basically after the event. After a defeat, after a loss, which let's face it is most of the time in sport. If you don't win the tournament, you're going to end up losing somewhere along the line. Do we really care enough about what happens to those human beings when they disappear away from the cameras, away from the microphones and off backstage? Andy Stevenson is with me for this episode. How are you, Andy? This is a this is a really important topic, I think. It is, yeah. And I enjoyed listening to to Jeanette and John and yourself speaking the other day. And I think it's uh, it's really good that we're we're following up on it because, uh, as you say, it's an important subject. And actually, it's. It's one I think we're all probably a bit guilty, either as journalists or even just as spectators of sport. We're all a bit guilty of 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 not really thinking about it enough and just assuming that all these sports people are happy and wealthy and, and doing well and, and have got no problems. Because we're watching sport, we're naturally sport fans, aren't we? So I think there you're right. I think there is that sort of overriding emotion of, well, we'd we'd love to be there. We'd love to be doing what you're doing right now and that kind of masks is that is that the title of this episode i think it is maybe the mask it it masks the true feelings inside and who are we to judge what is going on inside the heads and bodies of some of these people it's a weird kind of envy isn't it it's the kind of grass is always greener type thing that we we have these sporting heroes and you're right we 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 often think god i wish i was them you know for a day or a week or a year or, you know i have it when i'm watching golfers i think what could possibly be better than being a professional golfer and that and that and but that of course just completely overlooks the the daily agony of being a golfer i imagine it doesn't you know regardless of how many trophies they win and how much money they earn they're still going to be plagued by the same problems that all golfers have which is that you know you wonder why you were a good a good player yesterday and a bad player today and i think it's probably the same in all sports really and in addition to watching sport andy we've both been there waving our ubiquitous microphone in that very flimsy non-essential way in front of these people as i say after defeats after some of the most harrowing moments that they are going to experience not just in their careers when we talk a lot about careers but again we'll come back to the human element of this in their lives and it it's got me thinking i don't know about you it's got me thinking about those times when i've stood there rather helplessly 
thinking, could I have done more? Should I have done more to just forget about the, the whole professional side of it and just connect with these people on a human level what do you what do you think yeah i i've been there like yourself when when an athlete has been so upset and and either you know explicitly overtly so or you can tell that they're just holding holding it in and trying to kind of keep smiling for the for the cameras or for the microphone if you like and there's nothing worse because obviously unless we have some sort of friendship with this athlete we are going to be with them in in the mix zone, as they call it, in the in the area where we can interview them after their event, and we're maybe with them for what five minutes max, mm-hmm. and of course we get the audio, we rush back with it, and we're on to the next athlete or on to the next event. So um, yeah, sometimes I reflect and think that's actually a bit a bit out out of order, to be honest. And you know what? Our guest on today's pod, Andy, knows exactly what we're talking about. And and I was there actually in Athens, Greece in 2004 when she lost the gold medal match. This was in the mixed doubles in the badminton. Gail Ems, brilliant badminton player, had played superbly, you know, to win the semi-finals, which was the match which earned her her silver medal ultimately. But when she lost the gold medal match, nothing was further from her thoughts and yeah, it was one of those sort of harrowing few minutes when I couldn't connect with her because I just couldn't get it. You know, there was me coming down thinking silver medal, that's pretty damn good. I'm not going to get anywhere near that in my lifetime and you've just done it. But not being able to understand why that didn't mean anything to her. And and that's where these these sportsmen and women, Andy, are on a, on a different plane <laughs> You know, it is their life. It is a matter of life and death, as who was it? Bill Shankly famously said, it's far more important than that. Uh, and you, you can feel it and you understand it or you come you come close to understanding it when you are witness to those moments. And don't you think there's a strange thing where it's actually different at an Olympics or a Paralympics? So, for example, what I mean by that is when we watch a football final and sometimes you'll see the runners-up come up for their medals and the runners-up won't even put the medal around their neck or they'll, they'll take it from the dignitary and then they'll sort of almost throw it away or put it in their pocket mm. or whatever. And I think we understand that. For some reason, I think at the Olympics, for some reason I'm not sure we see a silver medalist at an Olympics as you know the runner-up or the first loser I think we see them as as one of the best three in that competition if you know what I mean there's a subtle there's a subtle difference there isn't there and this is the thing for me because I think in isolation when you hear an athlete saying oh no I I was devastated with silver I only wanted gold we we kind of think oh well listen to yourself kind of thing But this isn't an ego talking. This is a winner talking. Someone who has been conditioned throughout their lifetime to win. And that is the be all and end all. So this conversation we're about to have and this episode, I think, is about it's about understanding more than anything. It's it's about compassion and connection. And also, Andy, what, what can we do about this? You know, as a sporting community, what can we actually proactively do to help with this moving forward? Because we're all involved. Some of us are on a, on a different side of the ropes to others, admittedly. But I think we can all work together, don't you think? Yeah, and I think it touches on something else you were talking about in a previous episode about children being encouraged to play sport for, for the fun of sport. And I think maybe we have to delay the idea of winning at all costs until much further into an athlete's career, or maybe not at all. I mean, maybe we shouldn't put that pressure on on any of our athletes, full stop. Yep, because you trade 
happiness and a lifetime of happiness in some situations. And as you're about to hear, that has happened in this athlete's case. Let's bring her in and welcome her onto the pod. It's Olympic silver medalist, dare we say that, badminton's Gail Ems. Well, hi, Gail. How's, uh, how's lockdown been for you here? Lockdown has been interesting. Um, an emotional roller coaster, that's for sure. Um, I think for someone like myself who's always out and about, who likes doing stuff, who does this talking circuit, who goes to schools, who's always out doing fitness, you have to reset and reassess yourself, reassess everything. And it's been really, really tough. But um, kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now, that's for sure. Gail, you say that you like to be outside and active, but looking through your social media feed, you you have actually been able to keep uh, outside and active quite a bit. I know you You've taken up golf, haven't you? Yeah, Gail Goes Golfing has been um, an interesting little project. I had this kind of idea that, well, golf is definitely going to be the one that gets going again because it's outside. Um, My golf and I, it's an interesting relationship. Um, (laughs) It's a love-hate relationship and it doesn't always go right. But the good thing is I'm entertainment and anyone who plays with me seriously will either be, what the hell is that? And I'm like, well, there you go. You know, I didn't say it was going to be good golf. I said it was going to be entertaining about golf. And it's very erratic. Um, and there's lots of swearing as well. So I have to apologise for anyone who is around about near me um, on a golf course because they might hear a few swear words as well. And, and on a more serious level, Gail, yeah. am I right in saying that you, you signed up as a, as a COVID tester in Milton Keynes? Is that right? Yeah, so lockdown, you know, I'm not one to sit down on my bum and watch Netflix and all that. You know, there's lots of people, hashtag living the best life and, you know, I'll look at my perfect life and sit in my garden, you know, and and chilling out while being furloughed and, and all that. And I was just looking at them going, I just felt this sense of I should be doing something. I can do something. I'm fit. I'm healthy. So I did look at all the, the jobs, applied for supermarket jobs, didn't get any. <laughs> so I was a bit like, oh, are you kidding me? What can I do? And I'm also worried about a bit about money as well. But then um, I saw this volunteer job to be a COVID tester. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Turned out there, got um, all the training, um, got the PPE gear and everything so fully PPE'd up and I learned how to get that swab stick it down people's throats and stick it up their nose and uh, send it off to the labs and that was my job I felt like I was doing something I'm helping people there were there were some very sick people that were turning out they needed to know mm. I felt like I was doing something important I felt a purpose in, lo- in lockdown and you know I wanted to help the country move forward through this I'm like, do you know what was the best best thing I did? I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it must have been so rewarding. Yeah, just I'm being around people as well. Mm. Being part of something, being a team, um, you know, all the things that I love. For me, it was just nice to get out there and, and do something. Getting turned down by supermarkets, though. I mean, that, <laughs> yes. that must be quite demoralising. I, I mean, particularly, you know, you've talked about this in, in recent months and years. You know, your, your struggle to find a purpose in, in sport since retirement. And, you know, this is, not a, this is not a new thing for you. I think it is something that I've learned to live with or learn to understand. When it first happened, I couldn't understand any of it. I did not understand why I could not get a job. But I had no training in this and no understanding of the real world. That's why it was such a shock to me when I got rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And I was like, what? Excuse me. Hello, (laughs) Olympic medalist. You know, why don't you want me in your company? I'm awesome. And it was really, really hard for me to accept it. So I did have to learn 
and understand from other people's points of view, other people have got much more experience than me, what I could have done, how I can get that experience and all those little things. But it does take a lot of time. And unfortunately for me, I saw everything as a win and a loss because I'm a sports person. I either win or I lose. So for me, I lost, 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 lost. When you have that amount of loss, losses, you do start going, and you start getting further and further down into, you know, sort of that pit of, you know, worthlessness or something like that. Wow. That's where the selfishness of an athlete comes out. And it, and it is a selfish. You're in a bubble. Everything's done for you. You are... Um, you've got people around you who are tell, you know, building that ego up to make you feel like the co- most confident person ever. And you are in your bubble. Because winning is everything. Winning is everything. Okay. It is that you, you have a purpose and your job is to win that trophy or win that medal. You don't have any other purpose in your life right now. That's your job, your purpose, your identity. You are so-and-so footballer, so-and-so badminton player, whatever it is. You will win. You will win. Because if you don't win, you'll get dropped. If you don't win, you're nothing. If you don't win, you're, we're going to chuck you off the pathway. If you don't win, I'm going to lose my job. And that's how you are. That's the attitude of sport, elite sport. And it becomes slightly cult-like um you know sort of a bit of a brainwash you know and you you do walk into that that training environment I am here to perform at my best if I do not achieve if I'm not my best I will get chucked off and that's it my life is over my I'm not worth anything so that's why when you've had year after year after year of that mentality that's why it's so hard, you know, for athletes when they come out of it to suddenly realise that the world doesn't work like that. Real world doesn't work like that. Real world is about people and it's about understanding how other people work and see things. Um, and that's where it's, it can be a little bit frustrating. And I totally understand, you know, I, I might say something or an athlete might say something about transition and how they're finding it hard or mental health or, um, problems. And you see the comments and you'll see like, oh, well, you know, they travel the world and, you know, they played, you know, live the dream so what they got to moan about and you're like just because they're a sports person does not mean that it cannot affect them everyone is human Mm. and that's what we just wanted to try and kind of like make sure people understand just because it's a a footballer just because it's a rugby player or cricketer whatever they're human and that's that's been something that i really want to make sure people get what what was the support like or, or perhaps the lack of support like from you know, either badminton itself or the world of sport, if we can, if we can call it that. Um, there was nothing, you know, in their eyes, whose problem are you? Because as a badminton player, my job was to win that medal. As an ex-badminton player, yeah, why, why would they want me? They don't need you. You've done your job. Well, you, you know, you try to do your job. I, I failed at getting Olympic gold in, in their terms. So why do they want me anymore in the system? They've got to focus their energy on the next person. Uh, it's a conveyor belt. But you and could help that next person, couldn't you? Well, <laughs> that's what you kind of like to believe. And I'm thinking, you look in other countries, um, in Denmark, I saw it all the time, people helping each other out a lot more, ex-players helping current players, current players then coaching kids. Um, even the oldies were helping the elite players, businesses were getting involved. And it was just this beautiful way of engaging sport with business, the community. Where something with this model that we've got at the moment, it is like, okay, you're done, off you go, next one, because we've got to produce another medal. You feel 
a bit like a rag doll, you know, like you've, you've kind of, you've finished your, you're, maybe you're injured or maybe you're old and <laughs> you mm. feel like you're that, you're the, the what you don't want. You've got so much to give. Or, you've got so much to give though. I mean, I mean what, 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 do you, what do you do in badminton now? Nothing. Oh, it's shocking, isn't it? No, nothing. Nothing. And I'm actually embarrassed to say that because people ask me all the time, are you coaching? And I'm like, nope. Are you involved in badminton at all? Like, nope. And you know, I get the look you're giving me yeah. right now. <laughs> it's like it's huh? amazing, you know. And I, I. But don't you like live a, a stone's throw from the National Badminton Centre? I live ten minutes away. Yes, and I'm here. And I've, do you know what I've offered? And they know I'm here. And there's only so much you can do. And you know, you're they, asking for too much money, Ems. Aren't you? That, that's what it is. I can, I can. Maybe, feel it. maybe I wasn't a start, and my prices are right down now. <laughs> they could have me really cheap at the moment. This is Sport in the Fields, in association with Aldi UK, official supermarket partner of Team GB. We head off on a short tangent at this point in the conversation because chatting to Gail reminded me of a story I'd heard and I wanted to know if it was true. Did she lecture Andy Murray about the importance of the Olympics when they met on a bus in Beijing? He'd been to watch Gail's 2008 quarterfinal. Andy and Jamie were flatmates of mine in Beijing and... Um, I think that it was for them, it was a new concept they had. I think, I don't sure if Jamie had played the Olympics before, but definitely Andy was new to the Olympic concept and he'd lost. They were out because um, their mum, Judy, is a big Bamton fan as well. So she was in the crowd, she had tickets for it. So we kind of like said, oh, come over and support us. And um, we were really confident, played well in the quarterfinals. The Koreans played better. Uh, so we lost. Um, and I remember doing the whole media thing and I just got told there's a bus leaving in five minutes and I just wanted to be out of that sports hall. Mm-hmm. Back to the Olympic Village. Walked onto the bus, looked around and the only seat left was an empty seat next to Andy Murray. And you could see his face because I've been crying my eyes out, obviously. <laughs> Another yeah. crying gale. <laughs> and you could see his face. I mean, he was only 21 at the time. He was like, oh God, no, 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 not crying girl, not crying girl like this. And I went, you, I'm sitting next to you and I'm going to sit here and you are going to talk about anything about badminton. And literally the poor boy, I scared the hell out of him. He just sat there and like, oh, okay. And then bless him for 45 minutes, he talked about anything and everything. You know, talked about his dog, his new house or whatever, you know, training. Um, just bless him. And I needed that. I just wanted to not talk about badminton. I wanted just to talk about normal conversation, normal life. Just there are other things that have got perspective. That's what I needed. And he, he got that. He got that. He knew instinctively that that's what I needed. And he walked me back into the um, Olympic Village. Um, we went to the dining hall. He sat me down. He went and got me some food. Because he knew. He knew that devastation. And I think for him, um, you know, he realised how much the Olympics meant to me because I said, that's it, I've retired, I'm not doing any more. And then he got that, oh my gosh, that was your last ever match. And I said, yeah. And again, it's that other sense of a sports person knew what that was like with that, you know, and he could, he could see in his eyes that he was like, well, if that was my last match, what if that was my, you know, last ever Olympics? And he just got that and sense. He just played of, his first match. He and if I remember rightly, he, you know, he was it, rubbish. It wasn't a great attitude he came into that Olympics with. Yeah. Uh, okay, it was a really tough time in the schedule because they'd been out in America, they had to fly to Beijing for the Olympics, then back for the US mm. Open. I mean, we took the mickey out of them constantly for that because I said, well, this is the big, this is our pinnacle, and you've just treated it like a little, ah, just go and do the Olympics, you know. So well, you said that too. 
him, didn't well, you? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely we did. <laughs> we definitely did. Um, did you know, uh, I think he learned his lesson because we went and did pretty well in the Olympics afterwards. So, uh, well, he hasn't I, lost another singles has, match since. I'm not saying it's down to Gellems, but <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but I think, you know, the most important thing was that he saw, you know, that's, that's what I want to stress is that sports people know they feel it when I see a sports person you know and they're being interviewed and they've just lost I feel it in my heart I well up because I know I know what that's like and he knew what it was like and and I and I think he saw even more than that and that's what we need to encourage that you know it's not about you know it's not all about the medals you we're human beings and uh sometimes a hug from uh, Andy Murray can mean the world actually and um you know I'll always be thankful for that that's a really nice story. I'm Jonathan Overend, alongside Andy Stevenson, and we're in conversation with Olympic silver medalist Gail Ems. Yep, silver medalist, alongside Nathan Robertson in the badminton mixed doubles at Athens 2004. An achievement to be proud of, you'd think. You'd be wrong. And so we get to the heart of this story. How, how on earth, the pinnacle of a career can at the same time be the deepest valley a failure. How is that even possible? Well, you're about to discover. I feel it as a failure in a few in a few different ways. So the initial one is that in my sport there is an Olympic gold medal match mm. and I lost. Okay, so I have lost. I haven't won silver. I've lost gold because we were in that match, in that final. And we didn't win. So when I was on that podium, the bronze medal, uh, Jens Eriksson, a Metascholder from Denmark, really happy because they'd just beaten the fourth place. They were happy. They'd won okay. the bronze medal. They'd won the bronze medal playoff. Gold. But, yeah. We're like, woo, we've won gold. Yeah. I felt I've lost gold. I haven't won silver. I've lost the gold medal. So that's the first thing in my sport. Not every sport is like that, obviously. Um, you know, I suppose if you're in a race, um, you know, so if you can win, I, I still see it as if, like if you're a swimmer or athletics, you win silver because you've you've got to over the finish line. Mm. Whereas I've lost out to someone in a one-to-one situation. I see everything. Did I win? No, therefore I lost. And it's just the way my brain works. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, it's a good thing in some ways. But um, <laughs> you know, well, I it's it. quite I hard it. to. I do, I do get it. And actually, if I, I think back to that day in Athens, you know, I remember we coming. We were leading as well. Yeah, you were. So we did yeah. lose it. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a good match. You didn't play particularly no. well, did you? But I suppose my point would be, you played brilliantly in the semi-finals. You were the best player on the court by a mile, and that was the match because you won the semi-final which yeah. won you your Olympic silver medalist. So, so, yeah, I get the fact that you're reflecting on the last match, mm. the final. Is is there not a single part of you that can look back to that semi-final and think, yeah, I played really well and I won the silver? Part of me, well, and you're right, I, I played really well up until that final. You know what, well, I can't remember anything, but all I know is that Olympic final will always be replayed and I can't change it. And I've never watched it. I never will. I can't. It hurts too much because I can see, I know that I was the weak link and I know that... But then, I, but then I'm also grateful for that match because I, after that match, I told myself I will never, ever feel like that on a court again and I will never let that happen. 
So it actually spurred me on. Okay. So there are good things to it, but I still still see it as a as a failure. But I remember bouncing down from the commentary <laughs> position with my tape recorder in hand, thinking I- I'm going to be pretty much the first person she sees after this disappointment of losing this gold medal match. I'm just going to go in there with all the positivity <laughs> I've got. And I said, Gail, okay, you've lost. Forget about that. You've got an Olympic silver medal. And I was like cheering and, whoa, you're amazing, fantastic. And you weren't having any of that, no, were you? No, I just cried, didn't you I? just yeah. cried. Oh, I just... And you see, I've almost waited 16 years to find out why. Because yeah. I get it now. Yeah. I get it. It's... If you're going in with this winning is everything mentality, silver means nothing. As, as brutal as that sounds. <laughs> It's hard, isn't it? And I know, and I do understand to a lot of people when I do talks and I go to schools and literally you see people's faces and, you know, those that remember it or watched it and, you know, they can, they're so happy about that silver, but I will never, ever feel like that. Mm. Um, I don't, and, and I'm, in a way, I know it's meant a lot to, lot to people and, you know, they'll be very, very happy, family, friends, coaches and all that, who I owe that medal to, but I will never, ever be... 100% happy with it. So what emotions do you feel when you look at that medal now or all your world medals, your European medal, your Commonwealth medal, you know, how, how do you feel now, sort of hopefully a little bit detached from the feelings you had at the time? I don't feel anything. It's really, it's really bad, isn't it? I don't feel anything. I just feel it was, it was my job to do that. Oh, don't do that face to me. Oh, <laughs> it's like... I know it was my job. I don't. I just look at it. It's just a medal. And how how much of that do you think is because of the way you felt about badminton and about your career throughout? Because you had been conditioned into this winning is everything mentality. Yeah. Did that make you kind of fall out of love with with badminton? Yeah, it did. Um, you you go through, obviously, as you get older, you go through different emotions about your sport as well. I am actually very jealous of athletes who, who talk about their love for the sport. They just love it. They're so, you know, they can watch it over and over again. They just, you know, and I, I never felt that love for badminton. I knew I'm a very um, sort of... Uh, determined person I love winning and I saw badminton as a way to win that's what I love I love winning um and so that kind of suited my personality that I can go out there play badminton I can win therefore I am happy but I never loved the sport and there was a few reasons I'm not the most naturally talented at badminton I I knew my weaknesses quite a lot I could never properly love it because I didn't feel adequate enough as well Mm. so and when you got older it was more apparent to me that I was there. It's a job. It's a job. This is your job. This is your job. You've got a, it's a, it felt like a business rather than who I am. And I, you know, I, I, as much as I wanted to try and put my personality out there and, and be happy and smile on that and badminton court and enjoy every minute, I couldn't do that all the time. And that's why I feel, um, I never want an athlete to look back and hate their sport or hate their journey or you know look back with regrets or but there was there were times in my life where I just looked back and I thought oh just you know that anger and I felt why did I not feel like that was the happiest time of my life why am I not looking back and oh do you remember the time we were in the middle of Korea and it was just so happy we had such and I look back and I think it could have been better I could have done the process 
the journey, the way the sport was set up for everyone, not just myself, the coaches as well, managers, all that. I think there's so much more that can be done in sport. Well, this brings us back to the idea of the support network mm. so important in sport and you know i'm getting the impression the more the more we talk that we don't connect i'm talking about us on the on the other side of the ropes if you like we don't connect with you as athletes on that human level enough no what, what are your thoughts on that lack of support network i think you summed it exactly right we're humans just because we can play a sport really really well does not mean that we don't feel we don't feel disappointment. We don't feel um, happiness. We don't feel... We haven't got a life outside. You know, um, what's been really good recently is more athletes are opening up and you're hearing stories and you're saying, well, actually, do you know what? I've got family. This is what I have to do for my family. I've got this going on in my family, this going on. Or, you know, and, and, and then suddenly people are going, oh, yeah, you know, you're more than a footballer or a tennis player you are actually a person mm. and part of the reason I think sport's done it bad in the fact that we've we've sheltered quite a few people away from you know media don't talk to the media don't talk to them because they're just going to get at you and you know sort of pull you down or and I think that's that's a really wrong wrong way of saying it I think we should have a much more open um with athletes and media and and the audience because we are technically all the same we are human beings that have emotions and problems and we've grown up with, with all sorts of stuff. Our life stories are, you know, that's what, that's what makes us. Mm. I think we should be comfortable, athletes should be comfortable of who they are and being proud to say where they've come from or what they've gone through. The more they can talk about that and connect with people, then it's better for you guys as in the media. When you're interviewing, you can see that. And, you know, you, I'm sure, have been in situations where you're interviewing and you know that an athlete's not right. Mm. And, you know, they're giving out that standard media answer. <laughs> all about the team. Yeah. It's all about the team. And you or know, they might be crying. Or like they you. might be crying. Yeah. And, and, you, and you just, this is the stuff, instead of going, you know, how much it means to that person. And actually, they do see it as, a, as, you know, the really psychological mental loss mm. of something. Or it's so much more. Yeah. And also, I think there is an assumption on our part that you have got that network behind the scenes somewhere to, mm. to lean on and that you will have left the arena that day and you'll have a team of people, coaches, psychologists, who, whoever, who are there for you. But that's, but, the, but that's in your sport and they're all trying to fix you. So, you've, again, you're, you're still staying in your bubble. Okay. So is that right to keep in that bubble of going, yes, Gail, don't worry about that, Gail, don't worry about that, you're just, just focus on your badminton, don't worry, you know, you're all good here. And it's all to fix you as a badminton player. It's not about being fixed as a sports person. It's just connecting on a human level, making sure that sports person's got lots of different friends in different environments and different um, backgrounds or whatever, or different uh, situations that, you know, I can just switch off and know they're, they're a person, mm. not just an athlete. And that's the key. And, and can, you see, can you see the signs, Gail, when you're watching sports on television or perhaps in person? Are there certain sports people you look at and go, actually, I think you're going through what, what I, I was going through. Can you spot some telltale signs? Yeah, totally. I can see it when they're playing a match. I can tell by the way they are moving, running, passing. I can see the way their body language is with other teammates. It's incredible. And because you know... 
And that's what, I, and other sports people are exactly the same. You know, I come talking with it and we'll be talking about someone or a match and someone will say, oh yeah, this has been happening with this person. And you go, yeah, you can see it, totally. And, and the trouble is the only thing they've got is probably a sports psychologist who is trying to fix them because your pass rate was under 80% or whatever it is. Instead of actually, how are you? Do you want to talk to someone? Or maybe just, you know, sort of let's, let's just work out something, you know, like take them out of that environment instead of trying to fix them to get their percentages up or you didn't shoot, you know, you didn't have a shot on target, for instance. Mm. That's, not the, that's not the problem. The problem is the bigger picture, the human aspect. Um, but yeah, I can, you can see it. That makes me I just want to give them a big hug. There's that strange thing, Jonathan, isn't there? In, as broadcasters, when you take that audio back to the newsroom, if an athlete has cried in your interview, you know that that is a piece of audio that's going to be welcomed and congratulated and, and listened to. And sometimes, as the individual responsible for doing that interview, you think, well, actually, no, I don't, I don't want people to hear this athlete crying or this athlete in bits because they're going through trauma. But on the professional side of things, that, that interview is often the one that gets played more than the, the happy, joyful ones. It's, um, and I'm just sitting here reflecting on that after what you've said, Gary. It's true, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's just a weird thing. Sport in general is a weird thing in that respect. Sports people. It's a machine. We're, we're, exactly. We're trained to switch. We're told to switch our emotions off, which I think is the worst thing to do. I'm an emotional person on that court. I'm not a poker face. You see, what you see is what you get. I can't. So someone told me not to show my emotion to my opponents. I tried to do that and I was awful. So I should be me on that court. I should be me. This is what how I feel. But I'm also taught not to be vulnerable and not to show weakness. Athletes are gladiators. We're supposed to go out there and show, you know, we are the strongest of the strong and look how amazing we are. Put on the show for everyone. Mm. But actually, if I showed any weakness, you know, that's when my opponents jump on me. That's when, you know, that's what you're looking for on court. You know, I'm like, ah. They're showing nerves. That's a sign of weakness. I'm going to pounce. Or I can see them, you know, sort of like their head goes down. That's my time to pounce on them because they're weak. And you're so trained, especially as a girl in sport as well, and you're trained to be like quite male characteristics, you know. Um, I can't be girly or feminine or anything like that. I've got to have, I've got to be man up or be one of the boys, you know, try tough. So again, you don't show any sign of help help me, I'm scared, help me, I'm nervous, help me, I'm feeling vulnerable. You cannot show that because in sport, that's where your opponents jump. So I, I'd love to get there, you know, and, and it is coming out, more and more athletes talking about being, mm-hmm. you know, the, the vulnerable side. And actually, they're going to be more mature, they're going to be happier, and it does make better athletes. But we've still got that concept of strong mentally tough athlete yeah. cannot show weakness and that's where actually it's, it's the wrong way to be you said the key word there happier mm. because i mean how long is a sporting career 10 <sighs> years maybe less yeah and how many maybe athletes? more if you're lucky yeah. but how long's your life and okay. everyone assumes every athlete is happy yeah. because they're living what most people dream about they assume that every single sports person is happy and i'll tell you what there won't be many not many athletes will be truly 100% happy. And that's scary. You're living the dream, but you're not happy. Because that pressure, and that pressure is relentless. And you feel if you do not perform, you are a failure. That is literally, you're constantly living on a, on a knife edge. If you do not perform, you're replaced. And that is not, it's not a great place to be. 
what can we do about this? How how can we help as a as a sports community? Do you think? I think we I think it's better that we get this more talking about this open and yeah. and again the understanding, especially from crowds and from you know sort of sports fans that again sports people are human. I think Michael Phelps has talked quite well about this, and he just looks you know this incredible gold medal winning machine. He's just like, I'm human. Yes, I can swim, but I'm human. And I think we just need to remember that these athletes, you know, when we're shouting abuse at someone, they've got a life. They're from something, they've come, they've done amazing. Let's just sort of remember that about it. But also for the athletes to communicate better as well. Don't be okay about talking and connecting because the more they do that, they'll feel happier and the, that vulnerability is not a weakness. So whether it is, um, you know, to the media, whether it is to uh, a sports network or just remembering that they have got a sports network, talking with other sports, you know, encouraging that. It's not about fixing a sports person because they haven't done a shot on target. It's about them looking at the bigger picture, helping people be happy and mature because they say happier athletes, better athletes, better coaching system, better environment to be in. And then you'll get more people carrying on that game and wanting to give back rather than getting off that pathway and then saying, see ya, I've had enough. I don't want to go back. So it should be about that, yeah, that sort of, um, it shouldn't be, you are athlete, you must win. If you do not win, that's it. That's not an environment to, to, for sport at all. We need to get away from that. It's a really important conversation. It's been great to, uh, to go through it with you, Gail. And I think a lot of people will, will take a lot out of what you've said. I hope I'm so. Sure. Thank you. And you're not a loser. <laughs> you are an Olympic silver medalist. I think I need a bit more therapy for this. <laughs> Book in again. Book in again, Gail. Yeah, I, I'd recommend a series of six of these, these chats if possible. My rate is, is pretty okay, actually. Okay. And you know, by the end of it, you'll be there. Okay, thank you. See you soon. Well, there we go. That's Gail Ems. And I don't know about you, Andy, but I found that really moving and, uh, well, quite emotional at times. Yeah, that's that's really made me uh, sit back and and think and ponder on interviews I've done with athletes um, in a variety of sports where... I think, as I mentioned at the at the top, they they have either shown quite obviously that they're upset, which in some ways is a little bit e- easier to deal with, or possibly harder. I think is when you stood there looking in their eyes, you can see that they're really upset, but you can see they're putting on a brave face or a brave voice for the interview. And I think that's that's probably the hardest one. And, and what Gail had, has, was talking about there has, has brought some of those memories back to me. Uh, and it is a really important topic. And I'm pleased that we've been able to do a, an episode on it. And, uh, you know, if it, if it all gets us thinking about ways of connecting more and supporting more and understanding more, then I think uh, that's a, a really good thing. And as an aside, as an aside, uh, it was great to hear that Gail Ems is the reason why Andy Murray went on to be our <laughs> greatest ever sports person. It's, it's not Judy Murray. It's not Andy himself. It's not his support team. It's Gail Ems. It's Gail that's, sorting that's him out. Bad attitude yeah. in Beijing, Andy. What are you doing? I'm in bits here and you're like basically half, foot, half a foot back at the US Open. And isn't it interesting? He hasn't lost an Olympic singles match since then. There you go. There you go. Back she can, she has a genuine claim to that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Great story, great story. And some sizable name dropping from Gail as well in the canteen at the Olympic Village. And I mean, I sat and had breakfast with Messi at Beijing. Yeah, I sat with, and I didn't even realise because I was just chatting 
I just remember it was like Argentina and I was just eating my breakfast. I'm not a morning person. And then I do the international sign language for good luck and all that sort of stuff. And then realised um, I'd just been sent to Messi. So there you go. As you do. Thanks to Gail Ems then and to Andy Stevenson and to you for listening, downloading and subscribing. If you haven't already, make sure you do and you'll get every episode of the series so far. And we'll see you again on Sport in the Fields. Sport in the Fields is a 94.19 independent production. In association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB.